take your Bible this morning, I want to take us back to where we were a few weeks ago in Psalm chapter 19, and we begin there with the transforming power of the Word of God, how it has the beneficial effect of changing us, of transforming us into the image of Christ. You know, He doesn't just save us, He doesn't just redeem us, but He puts us in a a process where we're ever growing more towards Christ-likeness. And one of the ways that he does that is he uses his word to change us from one state of glory into the next, as Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so we're looking here at the transforming power of the word of God, whether you're a young person who's feeding on the word of God or whether you've been 60, 70, 80 years in Christ, it will still have that impact on our life. But let's pick up the text. Let me read it. You follow along. I'm reading at least from now. I'll probably switch over to the ESV, but I'm reading from the New American Standard in verse 7, where it says, Psalm 19:7, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, he said much than, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is a great reward." And so we're looking here at God's special revelation that he's communicated to us in his word. And it's a wonderful, wonderful text. And let me just remind you of just a little bit of the flow and then we'll pick it up. He, he walks through this in really an amazing way. He gives us, does the psalmist here, six distinct titles for God's words, for God's word. They're all in what we would just call in the English language nouns, okay? You can see it there. Is it up on the screen? Are we going to bring that up, guys? Did you see that, John? Is that coming up? Um, I don't know if we'll get it. Is it all right? Do we got it? Or they're checking for it. But the titles are this. You could see it there in seven. It's called the law of the Lord. Verse seven, it's called, there it is, the testimony of the Lord. Go back to those titles. One more back. Um, and then we'll see those titles that are mentioned there. It's called the law of the Lord. It's called the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. I'll explain that because you think, well, why, why is it described in verse 9 as the fear of the Lord when the other ones are titles of the word of God? I'll explain that. And then verse 9, there it's called the judgments of the Lord. Each of those lines is saying something unique about what the Bible is, and yet each of those lines says, has its own unique contribution. I mentioned to you a few weeks back that we noted there that here, each of those phrases describes that the, the law is the Lord's. In other words, back in verse 1, there when it says the heavens are telling of the glory of God, there that word for God is in the Hebrew L. It speaks of obviously that he's creator, but here he's spoken to us and his name here is of the Lord. It's the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. And that is the name of Jehovah. It's that name upon which he enters into a covenant with us. So there's six titles. Then there's six adjectives, if you will, that describe 
the quality of God's word. Verse 7, it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and it's true. And then we noted, thirdly, that there's six beneficial effects of God's word in the life of a believer. And they're all verbs, if you will. It restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It is righteous altogether. And we spent our time, last time together, looking at those first two transforming descriptions of God's word. You remember we said in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect, and it has as its a beneficial effect in our life to restore our soul. It will make over our soul, meaning that as we walk in the Christian life, though we are saved, past tense, by grace through faith, our souls are still living in this world in which we live, and it becomes stained by sin. It becomes crusted over, if you will, at times. Our heart can become hard. At times we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And here the psalmist says that law, that Torah of the Lord, not only is it perfect, but it actually will restore the soul. And so we spent some time just saying that you and I need to be people that are feeding on this word. It is so easy to get out of the groove, is it not, of the Lord? So easy to let sin take us off the path. And here, God has set up His Word, not only as a law that gives us instruction that's perfect, but it has as its means in our life to transform us and to restore the soul. Remember, we noted there in verse 7 that the King James used to say, convert the soul, and they taught that it's so powerful it can convert the soul, though that be true, I think here He's talking to us as a believer. And then secondly, we left off there in verse 7 where it said the testimony of the Lord and we liken God's word to his testimony. So in fact, uh, uh, I, knew so- I saw someone this week who's giving a testimony tonight at a church in his baptism. He's going to come up and say, here's the family I grew up in. Here's when I was confronted with my sin. When I was confronted with my sin, here was the work of Christ in my heart. That was when I bowed my knee. I confessed my sin. I recognized Jesus died for my sin, recognized that he rose again, and he's going to share his testimony, is it not? It's his personal testimony of what God did to work his grace in his life. Well, here, look at it this way. The word of God, that word that you're holding, is the testimony of the Lord. In other words, God, amazing, the creator, awesome God who said, let there be light, and there was light, and who created the world, and who created the central valley, right, is the one now who's going to encase what he's like, what he loves, and what he hates, and he does that in his word. So here, one of the distinctive titles of the word of God, it is simply called the testimony of the Lord. And do you remember that we said there, and That's where we left off again. It makes wise the simple. In other words, the word of God would take someone who's naive, someone who might be open to anything. It's like they have an open mind. And the word of God has as its transforming effect, not only restoring the soul, but making wise those who are by nature simple, those who are by nature naive. Those who are open to truth and error, it will have as its chief um, beneficial effect in our life to give you the wisdom 
of God. And what a great testimony that is to know that we can be a wise man or a wise woman. Or maybe if you're a young father, you can say, this is how you're going to have wisdom. This is how wisdom is going to come to you. Here's how wisdom is going to come to you. And any decision that you're going to make is that the Word of God is going to give you that type of wisdom. Let's pick up the third transforming power of the Word of God. It's here, it rejoices the hearts. Look at verse 8. It says there that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. So here's that distinctive title. The distinctive title, you see it, it's called the precepts of the Lord. If you're holding a, a New King James, that distinctive title of the Word of God, it's described as statutes, if you will. And the thought here is that the Word of God is the precepts of God. In other words, these are the divine orders of God. Now, I know the world doesn't look at it that way, but here is the psalmist is under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he's giving these titles. He gives it law, testimony, but here precepts. In other words, you are holding in your hand the divine orders given to you by God. So cased in his testimony is his divine charge. In other words, he has charged us what he's like and how we should live. The thought here of that word precepts is it means what is mandated by God. In other words, you're holding in your hand what God said. You're holding in your hand what God appointed. And so they come from him. These are, if you will, divine order and divine charges. Now look at here the adjective that describes those precepts. It says in verse 8 that the precepts of the Lord are right. And the idea here is that they're straight. In other words, the word of God is level. It is the idea of upright. It, it is what is pleasing to God. His word is right. His word sends you and I in the right direction. And, and when you look at this, I think it's comparative with right as opposed to that which is crooked. When you think of the crooked ways of man or the deceitful ways of man, the word of God that you're holding is right. And it's the ideal that it's morally right. In other words, there is a promise in the word of God that if you follow God's word, it will lead you in the right way. In other words, you can trust it. In fact, to illustrate the point, you remember back in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to Eve, and you remember, you don't even necessarily have to turn there, when God said, eat from any fruit, right, but not from the fruit in the middle of the garden, for the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely, what, die. And Satan came to Eve, and he basically posed a question to her and said, hath God really, what, said? He got her in his temptation to doubt the veracity of God's word. He got her, he kind of strung her along a little bit to doubt what God had communicated. That God said you could eat from all, but not this one. And he caused her to question 
the Word of God. But here is the testimony of this book. That precept, that mandate, that divine order, that divine charge that you and I are holding is right, and it will never mislead you. It is morally straight because it flows from the character of God. That His Word is not perverse, it's not crooked, it encourages the godly to be straight, if you will, because it comes from the very mouth of God. Now, you say, well, what will happen when I hide my life, my mind, my heart in it? Look at the text again. It says there that the precepts of the Lord are right, and here's the beneficial effect. It will rejoice, verse 8, it will cause rejoicing to the heart. In other words, far from the Word of God being something that's dry, being something that's old, being something that's outdated, as you place yourself underneath it, it will cause your heart to rejoice. It will bring joy to your life, bring joy to your heart, bring joy to all that you are. And so it will have this beneficial effect that as God has made us in His image, as we hide ourselves in that book, He will give you joy. He will give you peace. He will give you fulfillment as you find it in the Word of God, even in the midst of your greatest difficulty. He will give you trust. He will give you hope. He will give you confidence when it doesn't look like there's any hope or any confidence. In fact, look over in your Bible. Keep your hand there, but look over in Psalm 119. I was just amazed here how many times in Psalm 119, where we believe that's David, some believe it's, it's another author, where he talked about this joy. And as you're turning to Psalm 119, I'm thinking of Jeremiah the prophet when he said, Thy words were found and I ate them, and thy words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. But look at the psalmist in 119. Look at verse 14. Look what the psalmist said there. He said, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. In other words, out of any earthly commodity, he was rejoicing in the way of God's testimony revealed here in the Word of God. Look at verse 72, Psalm 119, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. He loved it more than anything. Look down, if you will, at verse 127. 127. Therefore, the writer said, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, even above fine gold. Look at verse 162. He says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. What a great thought. What a great thought that the word of God would cause your heart to rejoice. Listen, men and women, we need to be a people. We need to be a church that is placing ourselves under this book, not just on the Lord's Day, as you know, but it needs to be the daily habit of your life, of my life, because you know what he's going to do? He's going re- to restore your soul. Back in Psalm, one ni- or Psalm 19, he's going to make wise the simple. 
and he's going to cause your heart to rejoice. I was thinking of that scripture in Ephesians where it tells us to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the what? Spirit, giving thanks and making melody in your heart. And then when you look at Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all teaching and admonishment, it says. And then it says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Listen, as we hide his word, he uses that through confession to cause us to walk in his spirit. When we're walking in his spirit, it is likened to letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And when that word is dwelling within you, then with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we're making melody to one another with the Lord. It causes our own heart to rejoice. Listen, it could be that you've come into this place and you've been away from this book. And as you get away from this book, you begin to look at the political landscape and you get a little worried possibly, right? It could be that as you get away from this book, you begin to more focus on your work. As you get away from this book, you become anxious. As you get away from this book, you let the fear of man enter in. As you get away, and all of a sudden, it's easy to become full of anxiety. But listen, if you become a man or woman, as I so desperately want to be, then we're going to be in this book. And what this book is going to do is cause us to wait, cause us to pause, cause us to confess our sin. And as we're beginning to see the character of God and we begin to see his word revealed, it's going to cause in our own heart a place of contentment, a place of rejoicing in our hearts. Listen, I do think one of the greatest detriments for the cause of the gospel is the lack of joy in the believer's life. And if, listen, we're in this book, He's going to cause our heart to rejoice. So enough for me to say that. I pray that you're a man, a woman in this book. I pray that before you get going in your day, you're going to be in this book. So here's my week. I was, I was uh, studying, getting ready for the Shepherds Conference. I'm teaching at a seminar there, and it's just so easy for me to wake up in the morning. And I, for me, for my response, I'm like, okay, I got to get on this thing. There's going to be hundreds of pastors there, right? There's going to be 20 of our own guys there. I don't know. Because there's 20 guys coming to the shepherd. And I'm thinking, I haven't even started. So I, it, it's just easy for me to start going to my books. Start, I'm doing something I'm preaching. But I have to stop. <laughs> have to push them away. And I'm, I'm just telling you, this is like a week. have to push them away and say, Lord, I need to get my heart right with you. I need to sit under your word. I need to pray. I need to have my heart cultivated before I'll even be able to look at this good material so that I have something to say. And I just think that's my tendency. If I'm not walking in the Spirit, I could just move about my day and not place myself under this book. But when you do that, then anxiety rolls upon anxiety and fear rolls upon fear. And then all of a sudden, instead of having a heart that's content in the Lord, you're, you're scattered in all directions. Listen, this is a wonderful truth here. You put yourself in this book. You obey. You hear. You receive this word. You obey this book. Then what's going to happen is your soul's going to be changed from one image of glory into the next. You're going to become a wise man, a wise woman. 
You're going to become a wise grandmother, a wise grandfather. You're going to become a wise student at your school, wherever you find yourself. It's going to make you wise, and then it's going to cause your heart to rejoice. Listen, this is the promise of the Word of God. There's a fourth description, though. Look, the fourth transforming power of the Word of God in verse 8b. It says there, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Here's that fourth transforming effect. The distinctive title, the Word of God, you can see it is called the commandment, okay? And the commandment brings into view a lawgiver, okay, who has the authority to enforce his law. In other words, God's spoken, and he's given a command, he's given us his law, and he's the lawgiver, and he can enforce that law. And, and a command here in the scripture is ordained by God. It's very close to precept. It is the ideal of being appointed by God. Now that command in that distinctive title of the word of God is given a descriptive adjective. Look at it. Verse 8. It says the commandment of the Lord is pure. The idea is it's clear. That word that you're holding is free from all sin that there's no mixture of error that defiles it, that the Word of God is separate from all confusion, that the Word of God is separate, if you will, from all deceit. In fact, it says in Proverbs 30, verse 5, that the Scriptures are very pure. In other words, you're holding an infallible book that's without error. You're holding in your hands an inerrant Bible that is, that is without error in all of its parts. You're holding in your hands a book that's complete. There is absolutely nothing missing in it. It is pure. It is free from stain. It is free from imperfection. In fact, the psalmist said in 119 verse 140, your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. It's pure. The testimony of Psalm 12:6 is this, that the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Listen, you're holding the word of God. That word that you're holding is pure. There's no mixture of error. And look what it will do as you place yourself underneath it, verse 8. It says that it will enlighten the eyes. So what do you mean by that? It will enlighten the eyes. Obviously, it's a, it's a metaphor. But the word of God and the promises is that it brings illumination to your life. It brings guidance to your life. And the eyes are mentioned here because it is by them that we see where we're going. And the word of God is in our life and it will direct our steps. That's what the teaching of the scripture is. Do you remember David when he said this? <clears throat> In Psalm 119.105, it's a song. Thy word is a lamp unto my what? Feet and a light unto my what? Path. In other words, you're moving about in your life and the word of God is spoken of as a metaphor. It's a lamp unto my feet because it's going to direct you in the way to go. And it is a light, as it says there, unto my path. In other words, as you put yourself into, under it, you're going to walk without stumbling, if you will. You're going to avoid the wrong place. 
It is like a light, Peter says, shining in a dark place. And it gives not only the eyes to the fat path, but the feet, if you will, to walk in the right way. The psalmist said in 119.130, the unfolding of thy word gives light. It discovers me. It reveals God, if you will. It reveals and highlights danger for us. Listen, I got to have this book, don't you? You've got to be a man or woman in this book because as you put yourself under it, hear it, receive it, and obey it, it is going to light the path for you to walk in. When you step away from this book, you step into a world of darkness. And as we live in the darkness, but Jesus, of course, is the light of the world, who coming into the world enlightens every man. God himself, 1 John chapter 1, 5, is light, and in him there is what? No darkness. The word of God here is likened, if you will, to a lamp, and it's lightened to a light in this sense that it, fall, it causes us to walk in the path of obedience and in the path of joy. And this is the psalmist all over. Now, you say, well, what will it, what will it do? Well, it enlightens the eyes. In fact, look over at Psalm 119 for a second. Psalm 119, go back there. And I, and I just thought this phrasing was so interesting. How does it enlighten the eyes? We've already seen that it makes wise the simple. But remember this by David, if, if I believe he's the author, in Psalm 119.97, where he said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He said, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside to your, from your ordinances. For you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts, he said, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And then there's our text. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. So in other words, as he put himself under this book, it lighted the path for him to walk in obedience. And here's our connection. We've got to place ourselves under it. So it's a law. It's perfect. It restores the soul. It's a testimony. That testimony is sure. It makes wise the simple. It's called the precepts. They're right. They cause the heart to rejoice. And the commandments are pure and they enlighten our eyes. But let's look at the fifth transforming power of the word of God. Very interesting. It says there in verse Nine, that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, David has spoken of the word of God as a law, as a testimony, as a precepts and commands. And now he, he says there, as you read it, the fear of the Lord. And the question could be asked, what does the fear of the Lord have to do with the word of God? That's the question. And, and here's the answer. The fear of the Lord is a synonym for the word of God in that its aim 
And its object of the word is to plant the fear of God in our hearts, okay? And you have all these uh, statements in the scripture, like Proverbs 9, 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, right? And in Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 14, 27 says the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. So here would be the connection. Here in Psalm, the fear of the Lord emphasizes the human response fostered by the Word of God. And so he just calls it the fear of the Lord, but it is, it is the human response, is the fear of the Lord fostered by the Word of God. Let me show you this connection. Look over in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. Look over in Deuteronomy. I thought this was very, very interesting where they would read the Word of God there in the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, there Israel was urged to obey God's law. And, and here's what the writer said in Deuteronomy 4.10. He told the people, Moses, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. And then here's the so that clause. So that they may learn to what? Fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. In other words, assemble the people that I may let them hear my words. What's the purpose, Moses? That they may fear me all the days that they live on the earth. As the word of God was read, the purpose of it was to induce a healthy, you understand that, fear of God in their life. Look over at Deuteronomy chapter 17. It says something very similar does there. Does it there? Deuteronomy chapter 17, in verse 19, there it's stated that it shall be with him, okay, and he shall read it, this is talking about a king, all the days of his life, that he may learn to what? Fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, as he read the word of God all the days of his life, he would learn the fear of the Lord. Parents, if you huh, want your children to fear the Lord, and we mean that in a healthy, reverential, awestruck way, then you will find multiple ways to get the word of God in their life. And the greatest agent that can produce a healthy fear of God is not even your own voice, but the voice of Scripture. And as we set our life underneath this teaching, we will learn the fear of the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord is produced from His Word. And that fear will guide us to love Him and even obey Him. Look over at Proverbs 31. You see here was Moses' last counsel to Israel before he passed into glory. But in Deuteronomy 31, he again told the leaders, Assemble the people, 31 verse 12. Assemble the people 
the men and the women and the children and the alien who is in your town so that they may hear and learn and what? Fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So here, the, the fear of the Lord is a synonym for the Word of God inasmuch that one of the chief aims of the Word of God is to produce in us a healthy fear of God. And we should want that. Uh, one more scripture, one of my favorites. Look in Proverbs Look in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. You remember that great statement there, Solomon writing? This is a tremendous statement on the word of God. There Solomon says, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom in 2.2, Incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then, verse 5, you will discern the what? The fear of the Lord and discover what? The knowledge of God. You know, as I look back, this is not in my notes and I always tell my wife I have to be careful when it's not in my notes. (laughs) But I look back in my life. 1971, we found ourselves listening to this young preacher. You heard of him? His name's John MacArthur. And uh, he was 31 at the time. And I was just a little guy. I'm thinking I was probably at like nine. And, And I... I sat under the teaching week after week after week after week, year after year after year, listening to the Word of God expositionally coming out of the pulpit. And I can honestly tell you, as I look back, I never remember him being legalistic. I never remember him telling me, don't go to this movie. (laughs) Don't have hair this long. Don't do this. Don't do this. All I know is as a little child, listening to the word of God week after week and then sitting under it in my quiet times, it produced in me such a fear of God that I'd never want to displease him, right? In other words, if you coerce people by legalism, It's never a great motivator. What happened to me is that after a while, I had such a healthy digest of the Word of God in my life that I'd never want to displease the Lord who died for me, right? And see, what the Word of God will do is it will produce in you a proper godly fear. Did I share a couple weeks ago when I drove up to my friend's house on my bike when I was in junior high? Did I say that? I forget because I, I preach, I've been preaching Texas all over. There was a time when I graduated in ninth grade and from junior high. And I was driving my bike to my friend's house. 
And as I drove up into his driveway and into his garage, I could smell the wrong thing coming out of the garage, you understand. This is a guy I knew. This is a guy I went to junior high with. This is a guy I played basketball with probably every single day of junior high. And he was doing the wrong stuff, you understand. But all I remember, and this is not to pat myself on the back, I just, I didn't know where he was. He must have been right behind the garage. I just remember turning my bike away and driving away. I say, well, Scott, that's really good. Pat on the back. No, 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 no. I just think so much scripture would have been put in my mind that I would have never wanted to displease the Lord. And as I think about Grace Church of the Valley, and I think of maybe over 100 kids there, one of the greatest things we can do is to put in their heart and mind the Word of God, right? Because the Word of God has as its aim to produce the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is a result of sitting underneath this book that we'd never want to displease Him. Obviously, I sin, but I'm so glad that I was taught that instead of a bunch of do's and don'ts or that my only recollection was to please my parents. No, I never wanted to displease the Lord. So look again at the Psalms. It says there in 19, he likens it, does he not, to the fear of the Lord? And he says there that the fear of the Lord, very similar, is clean. In other words, there's nothing in the Word of God that would corrupt or defile the soul. And it, it says in verse 9, endures forever. His character is eternal, and his word, like himself, stands forever. And this is a statement of what the Scripture is in and of itself. And you're well acquainted with Isaiah 40, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, what? Stands forever. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So this book is likened to the fear of the Lord in the sense that his fear, it's a sentiment for the word that its aim in, in our heart produces a right understanding of and it endures for. Ever. No wonder Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12.10, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and what? Keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Look at the final one, the verse there in verse 9, the sixth transforming power. It says the judgments of the Lord are true. It says that they are righteous altogether. Here the distinctive title the judgments refer also again to the revealed truth of the word of God. Judgments, if you will, are the divine evaluation of all of our thoughts, all of our actions. And I really believe here the psalmist is using judgments as a, as a catch-all statement that it embraces law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear. Sometimes it's called ordinances, but here it's his judgments and it embraces all of those and he says here, look at verse 9 again, that they're true. The idea is they're stable. They're, there's faithfulness in them. There's sureness to the word of God. It's straight. It's very similar to that other word. It's upright. Okay? And here, the conclusion of all of it, 
Look at verse 9, where it says, The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, and also the drippings of the honeycomb. In other words, he loves this book. It's sweeter than any earthly commodity. It's better than money, the thought is. And it revives the soul. It restores the soul. I read one time of a, of, of a man by the name of Harry Golden. He was a Jewish commentator, and he once told of a mother who gathered, uh, gathered the children into the kitchen one day, and she placed their family Bible on the table. I'm not advising you to do this. But she took a crock of honey and a large wooden spoon, and she took a dollop of honey from the crock and let it drip from the spoon onto the cover of the family Bible. Then she held the Bible before each child and said to lick and go on and lick. And she said, for I want you to never forget that this book is sweeter than honey. And so it is, is it not? I mean, as you walk in it, he's going he's gonna to bless your life. Look at verse 11, very clear. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great, what? Reward. I mean, don't you want to have a great reward? I do. I want to hear, I want to receive, I want to obey this book because as you keep them, there's a great reward. The servant's going to be warned. He's going to be warned against sin. He's going to be warned against temptation. He's going to be warned against deception. I love what John Bunyan said when he said that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you what? From the book. But hide yourself in it. J.C. Ryle, even though it's, he's an older man and an older Puritan, said this, and I thought it fair. He said, do not let newspapers, novels, romances be read while the apostles and the prophets be despised. Do not let the exciting and the essential swallow up your attention, your attention while the edifying and the sanctifying can find no place in them. Listen, in keeping them, there's a great reward. Like Psalm 1, you will be like a tree firmly, what? planted, situated by the waters. Do you remember what Spurgeon used to say of Bunyan? He said, if you prick him anywhere, you will find that his blood is bibline, he said. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text. Spurgeon said of Bunyan, for his soul is so full of the word of God. May we be a people that live under it. Amen? Amen.